Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, sunshines. You are listening to the Evolvepreneur After Hours show, and I am your host, Christine Campbell-Rappin, and I'm on a complete and utter mission to help entrepreneurs make a difference. It is about navigating the messy world of startup, relaunch, reinvention, and understanding that there are lots of twists and turns on the journey. Joining me today, we're going to sit down to talk with an amazing woman who is going to share with you her insights. We're going to help bring some new concepts and strategies to help you fast track your business. Our special guest today is Dr. Kimby Marinekos, and she has a remarkable background. She's a national board certified family nurse practitioner and behavioral health specialist. She's had more than 20 years of success in healthcare education and the not-for-profit sector. She is passionate about both providing and promoting healthcare that recognizes interdependence between the body, mind, and spirit. Her practice philosophy is that you are the expert of your body, and she's a trustworthy resource for accurate health information and guidance. Dr. Kimby's unique way of caring for patients combines integrative, functional, and holistic practices and approach that is truly about caring for the individual on a wellness plan that supports optimal health and most fulfilling life. A very warm welcome to our program. So, Thanks so much. You're very welcome. So you've come from a really traditional world of healthcare, and I want to know, where was the spark of deciding, I think I could do a business around this and going independent? Because this is a leap that many might go, it's a daydream, but you didn't dream it. You dreamed it and took action. So tell us about where the story begins. So the story begins oh, how far back. I had practiced um, psychotherapy at a master's level for about 13, 14 years. And I was practicing alongside family medicine providers. And of course, I was driven to psychotherapy and behavioral health just as, a, as wanting to understand myself and why I do what I do. I'm the daughter of a psychologist. My father was a psychologist and an author. My mother was a nurse midwife. I was one of four children who said, I don't want to be anything like my parents. And here I am, just like both. And um, so I, I found my way into behavioral health. It was truly just an endeavor of love and wanting to understand why I do what I do. Well, working alongside primary care providers who were trained in a Western medical model of uh, as a more dualistic or um, you know compartmentalized approach to health, where the they tra- they treated the body and they delegated the mind to me, and so I did that for over a decade. And I, I all along it didn't resonate. All along I wanted to take care of whole people. I wanted to take care of a whole person that was body, mind, and spirit. And I didn't want to have to outsource each of these dimensions of what it is to be human. And so I decided to go back to school to to broaden the scope of my own clinical practice. And as I was doing that, I was recruited to teach psychiatric and mental health nursing at the medical university. And I was able to develop a clinical rotation through the homeless shelter clinic here in town. And I was supervising healthcare students, med students, dental students, nursing students, as they rotated through the medical clinic there, providing more integrative care. That resonated for me. And I realized people of these are the most vulnerable among us, and they don't have access to this type of specialty care. So as long as mental health was being treated as a specialty service, people were not 
they did not have access to it. So that is what inspired me. I ended up doing my doctorate on the family track, knowing I already had 13 years experience and a master's degree in, in, uh, in counseling psychology. So I turned left and then I did the family track for my doctoral program. And then I knew I needed to get out and do so, get some more generalist experience. So after finishing my doctorate, I left academia and I practiced in urgent care where it was all day, every day, a little something different coming through the door, whether it was a cardiac workup or a laceration that needed suturing or staples or whatever came through the door. You just had to roll with it. And so I developed some wonderful clinical competencies and really reinforced everything I had learned as a generalist. And I then experienced a global health crisis, a pandemic to the scale of COVID-19. And that was where, uh, you know, you get really good. The better you are at something, the more automatic it becomes, the more automated your work is. And autopilot to me is truly the kiss of death. <laughs> we are operating on autopilot. We are no longer mindfully participating in what we are doing. And that's where I think healthcare was robbed of anything fulfilling through the pandemic. It became about volume and numbers. And that's where I had my wake-up call at the end of a long 12-hour shift and had a patient come through that did not need a COVID test. She needed a doctor to show compassion and be present with her in a very human way. And I realized at the end of that shift, there was nothing left of me to give. And here was the patient I was born to care for, and there was nothing left of me to give by the end of that 12-hour shift. So that was my wake-up call. I drove home in tears, and I thought, I felt so ashamed and disappointed in myself. And I knew right then and there, I, 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 it was as if blinders were taken off, and I, I felt um, really ashamed. I thought, how far off the rails have I gone? How far off my path have I inadvertently strayed? And I, this was never what I set out to be as a healthcare provider, and it's not who I want to be in caring for another human being. So that was a wake-up call for me. Burnout was a beautiful, beautiful wake-up call for me. And that's where, that's where my mission to do things differently really fueled. That's where it was fueled. I always have known I wanted to do it differently. But right then and there, through a global pandemic where I had experienced more disconnect and isolation in my patients than ever before, the fear and, and paranoia and isolation and sadness and disconnect in patients. I like to say, my son even likes to say, there were two pandemics. One was COVID. The other was the depression and anxiety that was going on as a result of all the disconnect. So well, I love that you, you were, you're a seeker. You know, this is a thing is I'm seeking knowledge. I was seeking wholeness. I was seeking alignment in what I have. And, you know, I think often the things with wake up calls is they come in the unexpected moments. It wasn't a day. It was just like any other. You were on autopilot and went, I must make a recognition. This is not who I thought I wanted to be. And at the same time, a really choiceful decision. The person who must change this trajectory is myself. 
And so I'm sure there were a lot of dominoes that came out of that spark, but there was a listening that was pretty heavy, I imagined, because he said, I could see the tears in my mind. It's very visceral. So I must change. So as you started into the, well, what would a business look like? And I know you've got some really exciting things on the horizon. What were the things that you anticipated would be challenging as you jumped into this? Because it's quite a shift from that very heavy ER with lots of people in the background, lots of support structure to suddenly going, in your case, you said, it's just me and my dog and my cat and a, <laughs> and a belief that I want to do medicine or holistic care of patients differently. What did you anticipate would be the biggest challenge making the transition when you first made that call that says this is a non-negotiable for me? Mm-hmm. I thought that the hardest part would be finding patients. Oddly enough, I thought that would be the hardest part, but little did I know how hungry people are for a different kind of healthcare, for to be heard. I mean, really, it's a basic human need to be acknowledged and to have their experience validated, acknowledged, respected, appreciated. And so I thought finding patients would be the hard part. Ultimately, the hard part is the business side of things. Oh my goodness. I'm so good. I can sit with someone. I can I can develop a therapeutic alliance with a stump. I know I can. But my goodness, learning an EMR, setting up an EMR, setting up the billing structure structure, setting up the all of the scheduling and booking site, setting up everything. It's the back end. It's the infrastructure of a business that has been an education for me. And yes, I'm about a month in. September 1st was the day I um, I just decided, I pulled the plug and I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I set out to, my goal was one new patient a week. And I've been blown away at the, the patients reaching out well, as soon as they know what I'm doing, especially the ones who have seen me in clinic before. They know I'm different. I approach it differently anyway. Um, they know that no matter how many how many exam rooms are full, they feel like the only person in the building when I sit with them. I'm very, very present with my patients. So they appreciated the difference that I provide to begin with. But so, so finding patients was not the problem. Uh, molding all of the administrative end of things and structuring a business on my own is was the hard part ultimately and is the hard part still real estate believe it or not real estate is the hard part right now so it's an interesting one this is something i know our listeners um would really appreciate because there's a real gold nugget here when you are really clear on who you serve and you are really clear on your value and you can share it passionately somebody's really easily able to say i see you I want to be in that space and they flow towards you. And that's what's happening in your business. I can see it from the outside because it is a craving that they've been searching for and there hasn't been a solution to it. And I said, if you can get visible around that, that's where the magic happens. And I know that as a business coach. The interesting thing I often do find, your flip side, it's very accurate. It, it takes more than an idea to run the business side of it. And if all you want to do is deliver the service, in some ways, I always say to people with a very kind voice, consider being a contractor to somebody else because the business has an identity and it has an engine that must be maintained for it to 
provide predictable, successful care or results. And that's what ultimately, you know, your longevity is built around. So I'm curious, how are you navigating the challenges of this feels weird? I don't know necessarily what I don't know yet. How are you navigating it? I think I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I think what helped is how low my expectations were. And, and I, think, <laughs> I think expecting or hoping for one patient a week has given me permission, actually, to, to um, you know, take on what I can handle and do well. And I do, I pride myself on the care that I give. And I know that um, I, I, want, I want to preserve that above all. I'm no longer willing to sacrifice the standard of care that I know I want to provide. And I know that is, that is ultimately my business card, is the care that I provide. So how am I handling it? I think I'm, I'm handling it pretty well, but it's only because, as I said, the expectation was maybe one new patient a week. I've had a lot more than that. But I'm now allowing myself to, rather than that, feel that sense of urgency to care for everybody, I am actually carving out, like there are chunks of time in my day that are just labeled sanity. And I know that's where I'm going to catch up with the chart. I'm going to figure out where was that code supposed to go in my EMR? How do I, you know, send out a bill automatically? Or, you know, I'm learning, I'm giving myself the time and the space to, to learn as I go. I couldn't do that if I was really underneath the urgency of seeing everyone that reaches out to be seen. They know they can get seen and they will be seen, but I'm making sure that quality control is still number one for me and making sure that ultimately I'm not taking on more than I can do really well. Yeah. You know, you do have, I, I love the word permission. It's one of my very favorite things. It's something that I always work really closely with my clients on because the person whose permission you're seeking is actually the one in the mirror. And, and I love the fact that you've said, I've given myself grace to learn. But this is also a really important thing, and I want to give you huge props for this. And, and I think, guys, if you're on this track where you're starting a business, you got to hear this. It is a recognition I control the speed and a recognition that I might not start out with the answers. I have to grow to be that next version of me. And I think so often we think, well, someone else does it easier. Or it's easy on the outside, and they make it look like this was everyone should know this, which is crap. I'm sorry. It's just is. And it's a being, it's a journey of being it's, I must learn new skills. I must pace myself. I must carve out time for myself. And I'm also must control what I feel good about delivering at the highest caliber. And that's got to be your calling card. I love that you say care is always going to be my calling card because it is the non-negotiable and having non-negotiables on your journey will help set the boundaries because the heart's in the right place. But if you don't manage your heart and your mind, you will end up where you started the journey, which is burnout. And I'm curious because one of the things that you had said, you know, when we were we were looking at uh, teeing this up today is, you know, burnout has become a real culture issue. We did have two pandemics. Yeah. We had the before and then the consequences. And we're all still fatigued and lingering and uncertain in ways that's really shaped us. Some of us articulating it yet and some are not. But talk to us a little bit about you know, how do you see your business in the context of either championing change or striking a different message about the culture we have right now? Yeah. 
And I think that's so important because, you know, the way my mind works and I had, I had been considered the expert on burnout and compassion fatigue and moral distress when I was teaching at the medical university, but then to experience it myself, it became really personal. And I realized how, how didactic, how academic my understanding was. Uh, and I set out to dig deeper. I wanted to fully understand how I got to where I was, how didn't even I considered the expert and even I had blind spots and was vulnerable to it. So I really poured myself in and found the three dimensions of how we, how we characterize um, the syndrome of burnout. And I dug in, I wanted to find the antidote to each of those dimensions and how we experience burnout. And I poured myself in, I created a system for, for pulling myself up and out of burnout. And then I wanted to make that system available to other people. And ultimately, all of this, which is now a year, a year, a solid year, pouring myself into this and trying to share the system that I created. When I look around, um, what shocked me was how normalized burnout had become. I mean, I could look and see people burning out left and right in every industry. But they weren't even they weren't even acknowledging it. They were just, you know, increasing their dose of Adderall or they were whatever it might have been um, to cope with it. But rather than it actually being a, a, a phenomenon, an occupational phenomenon, as the World Health Organization characterizes it, it's I realize it's a cultural norm. Norm, and we martyr those who will spend sixty hours at work each week just put in a, a 50 60 70 hour work week we martyred them and I think that's where the bigger shift needs to take place we need to start speaking but I also saw in healthcare I saw especially through the pandemic a lot of conflict between the generation the different generations and you could see the older generation of nurses getting very frustrated at this younger generation because they weren't picking up extra shifts. They weren't staying late. With seven o'clock, they left. They weren't coming in early. They weren't doing more than what they were asked to do, and they were frustrated and calling it a work ethic issue. And I was looking from my, from where I was looking, it looked like a beautiful boundary they were setting. And I thought, what is is this a boundary issue or is this a work ethic? Well, to each generation, it looks a little different. And I wanted to pat them on the back and applaud this younger generation of nurses for setting the boundary. Their shift is until seven and they have a family at home. And so part of part of insulating ourselves against the experience of burnout is learning to set healthy boundaries. And and really you can't do that until you are crystal clear on where your values lie, what's most important to you. And I like to use something called a values filter. And when I have a decision to make or I'm posed a question or asked to do something, I mentally run it through my values filter. And if it doesn't pass through the filter, then I, it's an easy no. If I know that time with my family is most important to me, it's my number one value, then picking up another shift goes against that number one value. I'm not going to sacrifice what's most important to me for that extra shift. And so I think being really, really clear on what matters most to us, on what our values are, Will, will help us set the healthy boundaries. But we can't expect anyone else to honor boundaries that we haven't set. Mm -hmm. and that's where I think culturally 
it's a it's a steamrolling. There are no boundaries. The expectation is more, 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 more until you put the brakes on or until you set the boundary. And I don't know about you, but I respect people more when they are crystal clear about what they will do and what they won't do. Um, yeah, I think there is a big cultural shift and it's, it's, it's an interesting one. And I, I know certainly in my circles, my inner circles of business uh, entrepreneurs, there's a very big focus around, I don't know if the word's boundaries, but owning truth and, and going back to what are the values. And the values are shift are shifting, or we are reconnecting to. I would say kind of almost older school values, which which really say you know hustle is not the way to build. It's not the only way to build. It shouldn't be sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. And we certainly generationally grew up with more for less, more for less, retrenchments, changes of budgets, and it all meant the work didn't go. Actually, the work went up, but we just kind of got more efficient, or were asked to carry more. And this is something that is a challenge for entrepreneurs because as you're wearing all the hats, it's very easy to say, I'll just do one more thing. I'll just do one more thing. And so I'm wondering if you can highlight to us kind of how do you put a fail safe in your own journey that you are stepping into that says, I know why, because the clearest, you know, the service of the patient so clear from what your story has been. You know that this is the area of overwhelm. The structure of business is not my strength. It's the learning component. But how do I, knowing what I know, knowing what I observe, not lead myself simply by maybe habit? Mm-hmm. What are you doing to kind of check yourself along that journey? Well, again, it's carving that time out, like scheduling it in my day. And really, again, I think that while exhaustion being one of the dimensions of burnout uh, it, it's really oversimplified for people to say it's about self-care. It's about, you know, get some exercise, eat better. Um, all of that's important, but no amount of downward dogs or lotus position is going to do it. It's not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, one dimension of burnout. But the other two dimensions, one is depersonalization. And for me, truly, it's all personal. And the antidote to depersonalization is purpose realignment. And the purpose realignment is the part that for me is so critically important that that is driving the bus for me. And purpose realignment, I believe that each one of us has been given very unique gifts in this life. And whatever it is, just your job is to find out your unique talents and gifts, what your calling is and what your purpose is. And then I believe each one of us is accountable for how we used those gifts in this life. And that's where purpose alignment, if you haven't figured out your purpose, then you know start a habit tracker and start to pay attention to the, the activities in your day that really fill your cup, that energize you, that you can be cruising. And, and you know, I found when I was working on burnout, I've never been a morning person ever in my life. And I was getting up before the alarm to work on this. I was, um, you know, taking a moment in between patients to work on this. I was staying up late after I put my son to bed to work on this. This was what I could do all day, every day, and never tire, and the time would fly. And those activities in our day-to-day lives are good indicators. When you feel that tailwind underneath you, that's a good indication that you are working in alignment with your life's purpose. And for me, checking in regularly, carving out the time in my day for a regular check-in, a walk, 
I'm an introvert. I process internally. I need to walk and just think through and sort through what's in my day. Um, I also take five minutes at the end of the day. I have a, a, a what I call my self-charting journal, and it's just me checking in with my purpose alignment, with my energy level, and with my the third dimension of burnout was a diminished sense of accomplishment. And um, so the antidote to that is reclaiming our power and really recognizing and owning our professional um, accomplishments and achievements and, and, you know, I think honoring the journey we've been on. And so the last five minutes of my day, I'm checking in with those three dimensions and making sure that my work this day was in alignment. And where it wasn't, that's where I can pay attention the next day and make sure that's not, you know, we can be filling a bathtub and if the drain's wide open, you're not making progress. I love that ritual. So many great nuggets in there. And I, and I agree, you know, lift off feels very different than slogging it through and listen to your own space wherever you are right now. Because I would say when you're standing at a crossroads, the answers are simple. If you stop thinking immediately, what do I do next? Ask yourself, where do I want to be in a year? What calls you? Because there's an answer. There is. It's not here. If the answer's not here, then you need to move. But I'm curious on my last, my last question in our time together today, because you have gone from a profession that is in distress. We've certainly burned every healthcare provider through a very difficult time, and we've called all kinds of extra expectations. When you made the decision to go out on your own, and you've talked about having an inner circle and watching some friends of yours in their close inner circle also now pursue their life passion, did you have a cheering squad when you made the decision to go and take an about turn in your community of other providers? And if not, or if yes, kind of how did that play out because so many people say, you know, I'm waiting for permission from my circle. And I know when I first started my journey, I built a community because I knew you wouldn't always have it. And that didn't mean it should hold you back. So I'm curious how you navigated that. Yes. Well, and that was tricky. And, you know, I have colleagues, I do have a cheering squad and no, they are not. Interestingly, they are not necessarily in healthcare. Uh, but they are entrepreneurs in all different industries. They are incredible women who are leaping and watching the net appear. And it takes great courage. It does. Um, and I think that, you know, having that little community, no matter if it's one person or 10 people, having just that little voice that's cheering you on is so powerful. So powerful. Um, but in my circle of colleagues in healthcare, it 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 was surprising at times, but overall, I find truly that I am pioneering a change. I I I believe that I do because I have to believe that anyone who who went through the training and um, all that's required to practice as a healthcare provider to go to all of that trouble to find yourself completely disengaged from the human being that you're caring for. I got to believe that, that they never, no one went into it just to be, you know, changing bedpans or, or swabbing noses. You know, you're called healthcare, like teaching, I think is a calling to serve your fellow man in a, in a very real and human way. And so while some people you could, you know, they would encourage, but you could just tell there was just a little bit of she'll be back. And, and that's it's or just, Stella, see if please take me with you. 
And that's what I think it is. That's what I like to think it is. I think it is too. I like to think that I am paving a way to make it a little easier for them. And my hope is that eventually patients will command more. Patients will ask for more from their doctors. Because it's really unfortunate. I do feel like in healthcare, most most unfortunate, saddest thing, observation to me is that I believe that nurses, and I'm partial to nurses because I'm a nurse practitioner, but I, I believe nurses have become sort of the canary in the coal mine. And really healthcare at large, those are the canaries. And for a community or a society to sacrifice their caregivers, that's a big statement on where we are. And I, I really hope that patients will start to command something different from healthcare. I think it, it's a whole nother episode for you and I, but I think <laughs> there's a problem when healthcare is a for-profit industry. There's a real problem. So again, that's that's another episode for us, but <laughs> there will always be the naysayers. There will always be the ones who may or may not really want you to succeed, but those are exactly the ones who are watching the closest to see how it goes because they, you know, somewhere deep down, they want to do it too. They yes. want to pull the trigger. So true. So I'm going to celebrate you being the pioneer. I agree. I want to see the momentum swing and I love the faith factor and and whether that, you know, it's just, I know I'm not in the place where I really want to be anymore. I must guide myself out of this place I have found, the darkness I am in, and to realize I get to craft my story. And there's many chapters still ahead. It's great that you have an inner circle. And guys, if you don't have one on your journey, reach out, connect to people here in the entrepreneur community, because they're out there and they will help instill the belief when yours wobbles so that you can continue to do the great work. Thank you very much, Dr. Kimby, for being our guest. Guys, that is it. This is a wrap on another awesome episode of the Evolpreneur After Hour Show. But before you go, a couple of things. If you love this episode, we would love a five-star review. And if you are an entrepreneur or know an entrepreneur, consider recommending someone to be our next guest. Make sure you subscribe to the channel, be back to future episodes. And until next time, you have a great idea. Today is the perfect day to go start making it happen. We'll see you on our next episode. Bye.